I'm not going to harp on the details of this whole uh, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark situation. I feel like that's been like thoroughly exhausted in, in every avenue. But I do want to take that situation rather and uh, take that story and use it as an opportunity to talk about race and gender dichotomy in sports. This is not a critique on them. This is a critique on us. Race sales. More specifically, white star athletes, particularly in black and other minority dominated sports, drive significant interest and growth in a sport. Americans consume conflict, especially racial conflict. Sports allows us to covert racism and prejudice and the guise of preference. It's my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on me. I'm gonna make them believe. What's good, good people, wherever you may be listening, however you may be listening, I am Merck, and welcome to Gaslit. For all my first-time listeners and viewers, welcome. Thank you for pulling up on me. For all my old heads, y'all already know what it is. Thank you for staying locked in. So yeah, man, it's, um, man, it's, it's. It's been a week. What a weekend. Um, outstanding weekend of college basketball. Uh, I was able to uh, pull up to the women's final four and championship game this past weekend. Caught a, a Saweetie concert. Uh, I'll, get, I'll get a little bit more into that uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in another segment. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just all around, just good vibes. It was basketball, everything around it. I had such an amazing weekend this weekend. Um, it's actually kind of slowed me getting back into the groove this week. But we in the mix, and it was it was definitely worth it. So, um, yeah, man, you know, let's let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into it. All right, on to That's Lit. This is the segment where I highlight a business, an organization, an initiative, a person, a movement, whatever the case it is, something that's going on that is worthy of attention and highlighting. Uh, as I said, coming off this amazing weekend of college basketball, I want to shout out the UConn's men's team for locking up the natty, beating San Diego State, and completing... An absolutely dominant run through the tournament. I, <clears throat> at least off the top of my head, I can't think of. I can't think of a team recently, and if I'm wrong, y'all correct me. I know y'all will. Of a team that has run through the tournament, at least recently, that has been just this dominant. They haven't played really a close game. They've won all the games by double digits. So you know, I'm I'm good. I picked them. To be a finalist in my bracket, um, I had them uh, going against Bama and the Natty. Uh, we see how that turned out, but you know they carried my bracket and they 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 helped 
win me a couple of uh bracket tournaments so shout out to uconn salute to y'all true blue blood don't true blue blood try saying that blue blood blue blue true blue blue see look at that true blue blood <laughs> true blue blood program don't let anybody tell you different Y'all already know what's coming. Big, big shout out to big LSU, big Tigers. You know what I'm saying? For, for a dominant win against Iowa in the women's final. Y'all see that. Big, big LSU. Um, man, I was in the building. It was crazy. It was nuts. I mean, uh, Alex Morris, Angel Reese, of course. Uh, Ladeja Williams, uh, Jasmine Carson. I mean, she she lit the building up in the first half. Like it was crazy. I'm so incredibly proud of this team. I've been following following them all year. Uh, it's 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 man, what an experience to be in the building for that. It, it was crazy on so many levels. So proud of them. Go Tigers! Go Tigers! Go! Tigers, big natty, big LSU. All right, on to our next segment, Straight Gas. As you may know, uh, Straight Gas is where I give quick takes on uh, social, political, cultural, pop cultural uh, topics, you know, sports, entertainment, and conversations that are going on around social media. So the big one right now that's adjacent to the actual big one is... Uh, Man, Jill Biden and this this Iowa White House invite. So for y'all that don't know, don't have complete context, uh, Jill Biden pulled up to the natty and afterwards she was in Colorado. She popped out saying that she thinks that Iowa should be invited to the White House as well, as the tradition is that the championship teams uh, visit the White House after winning the championship. So first off, nah, absolutely not. And I don't know if she doesn't fully understand the nature of that invitation. I'm not sure what provoked her to pop out. Like that was like a great idea for so many reasons. Like, no, absolutely not. Losers don't go to the White House. And I'm pretty confident that we know that if it was the other way around, LSU likely probably would have not received that same invitation. Also, you know, the Iowa team that I've seen this year, that I've seen compete and talk their shit and back it up, Caitlin Clark, um, Monika Cezano, I think I said her name right, um, and the entire crew, I don't think this Iowa team – would even entertain, let alone accept that invitation. You know, I, I don't know whether this is another example of the Bidens being like unwaverably moderate again. Um, if it's if it's some thoughtless uh, extension in the preservation of whiteness, or if it's some kind of sympathetic appeal. Because it's regarding women's sports and, 
you know, as if, you know, these competitors, these women can't take a loss without a pal in the ass and a participation trophy. It's it's shit. It's, it's, maybe it's all three. Maybe it's a combination of all three in some in some aspect, regardless of what it is. It is absolutely disrespectful to the champion who earned the invitation for all champions who've gone to the White House, who earned those invitations on the floor, on the field. And it is a slap in the face to any of those competitors over in Iowa who, I mean, they, they had a hell of a season. That team was crazy. They balled, like shot the lights out the gym and every gym they pulled up into, even in the netty. I mean, they lost, you know, by nearly 20, but they shot the lights out the building still, you know, just LSU. Yeah, you know, that, that's all it was, but... It, it, it's it's not that, Jill, bad idea, pull that one back. I already saw your press secretary try to reel it back in, try to lean into the whole Title IX conversation. We ain't going for it. That's not sports. That's not competition. Losers don't go to the White House. Kill it. That ain't it, Jill. All right, on to the next. And I alluded to this a little bit earlier. So I uh, went to a Sweetie concert this weekend, and uh, she has this song called uh what is it called like it's like twerk that ass for an icy chain and basically what she does is she she performs this song and gifts an audience member uh, one of her icy chains for twerking um i was i was there taking it all in it was good vibes it was outside you know it was, it was a cool little vibe so she plays the song she prefaces it you know letting everyone know hey whoever goes the hardest you're going to get this icy chain. So, you know, the girls start dancing. And, you know, that's all cool. No beef, no problem, no that whatsoever. Uh, there was The girl who ended up winning, she was there with her dude. And she, she went full exotic dancer. Like, it was a table behind us. She got up on the table, and she was throwing it north, south, east, west, every direction and around in a circle again. Uh, got up on her back, threw her legs in the air, did the whole little leg wobble, you know. It was all out there. She had on the skirt. It was all out there. It was all out there. We saw it all. We saw it all. And her dude, you know, after she won, there was some contention going on in the background. Uh, one was because there was some issues about who actually won the chain, but then there was also seemed like there was some conversation between uh, the girl who won and the dude that she was with with the lengths at which she went to make sure that she won this icy chain. So uh, there was, you know, some back and forth with a few folks who were like, you know, let her do what she wants to do. I definitely heard that conversation going on. Um, he was trying to have a conversation where it was contentious, uh, very clear that he probably wasn't the happiest with uh, her performance to <laughs> secure that icy chain. But you know, I I wanted to 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 introduce this conversation just because I think it's interesting because we always talk about you know different dynamics, especially relational dynamics. Um, I want to say I have no issue with public twerking. I really don't. Um, folks have different preferences on how they would approach this, but in all things, I believe situational awareness wins the day. So you know, in this situation. To, to my guys, to my boys, if you know your girl is on that kind of time and you not cool with it, 
that's on you, champ. That's all on you, Slick. Either don't go to places with her where you be putting yourself in the situation or go with her and put on your best poker face and deal with it. You absolutely cannot act up publicly about something like that. You can absolutely communicate your discomfort respectfully, but don't try to shame or police a woman's body just as, you know, you wouldn't want a woman to shame or police your feelings around this whole situation. But I'm also going to say to my girls, and I say this in the full spirit of liberation, personal freedom, and body autonomy. The freedom to do whatever you please with your body does not also equate to the freedom of consequence. If you know your dude does not like you twerking in public settings in kind, you better get your shit off when he's not around or be prepared to deal with him being pissed at you. You can't shame or police men's feelings either. Just as you wouldn't want a man to shame or police your body. Neither men or women can have this situation both ways. And I know it's a contention, contentious conversation because twerking is a thing. Culturally, it's always been a thing. But now it's like out of our hands a little bit. But um, neither men or women can have it both ways. If the partner that you choose have a, has a different perspective on this, either, you know, deal with it, be together and deal with it, communicate and compromise. And if you can't do that, maybe, you know, that guy or that girl just not just might not be for you. I feel both of these situations. I, I definitely understand she had a concert. She having fun. She getting her shit off. She not thinking it's a big deal. I can easily see how, you know, it can be interpreted that, you know, she was doing this for attention um, and, you know, the attention that maybe her partner didn't want to be shown upon them or him. But at the same token, you 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 know who you with. Don't be surprised when they act how you know they're going to act. And um, if you can't deal with it, you know, maybe that's not the person for you. And if you can, you just got to communicate it and you have to be respectful of people's wishes and of their feelings and try to find something that works out. I'm just going to say, I'm glad it wasn't me. I wouldn't want to have to reconcile that in the moment in front of a crowd with a spotlight literally shining on me and my girl. But, you know, I hope they end up shaking it out. They did leave together. So I guess that's one thing. But, you know, this this is always going to be a point of contention. I think Meg had a line on a song about this at some point. But. Hey, love to hear y'all opinions on the public twerking. You know, my fellas, how you feel about it? You you cool with your girl doing it? Ladies, I know what kind of time y'all on. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about your partner maybe not being cool with you, you know, busting it down in front of the whole outside, in front of the whole concert? But, you know, I'm curious to get y'all opinions on that. I know it's a controversial topic, but that's why we talk about them. So let me know what y'all think on that one, man. All right, it's time to get lit. As you guys see, the title of the episode is Race Sales. 
uh, talking about the racial dichotomy in sports, the great hype, the white hope, the trope of the great white hope, and talking shit. So, as we all know and have been inundated with over the last 48 or so hours, this whole Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, you know, can't see me. I hate that, that that people are calling this the John Cena. This is the, this is, this is, I get money, 03, 04, Tony Yayo. You know what I'm saying? That John Cena co-opted. And if y'all want to know about, you know, appropriation and co-opting, go look at early John Cena and who he was out here imitating when he picked this whole thing up. I'm not giving John Cena credit for that. That's that's appropriation in its truest form. He may have made it mainstream, but making it mainstream for a certain segment of the population doesn't mean you get to take ownership on it. So I, I, I'm i a little annoyed by that, but that's neither here nor there. But onward and upward. Um, I'm not going to harp on the details of this whole uh, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark situation i feel like that's been like thoroughly exhausted in in every avenue but i do want to take that situation rather and uh, take that story and use it as an opportunity to talk about race and gender dichotomy in sports so race sales um more specifically white star athletes particularly in black and other minority-dominated sports, drive significant interest and growth in a sport, especially in the sports and spaces where they not where they, where they were not previously kind of involved. And this is, I'm not talking about, you know, the guy or the girl who has been in sports, played sports, supports the sports, um, and just has been a part of it. I'm talking about the casual folks, you know, we, we, we say this in the black community, the folks who show up for Easter, Christmas and Mother's Day. You the folks that show up for March Madness, NBA Finals, Super Bowl, you know, Masters Tournament, you know, the, the, the World Series. You show up for the big events. You're not really keeping track throughout the course of the season. You don't know these players. You're not familiar with their story, their teams, how they play. None of that. You just kind of pop in for the big moments. Those are the people who really, really drive big growth in sports and pulling them in. So it's it's when you have these white star athletes and when we know like the the demographic makeup of this company, those casuals come in and drive a lot of interest, a lot of sport, um, a lot of growth in the sport and a lot of eyeballs, which coincidentally drives a lot of money back into the sport through marketing and advertising and sponsorships, you know, whatever the case it may be. This influx of, you know, these non-nuanced newcomers into the, into the space uh, also inflates the stature and prowess of that star white athlete. Um, and, you know, it, it, it amplifies it even further if, there is an occasion where you have this premier um, star white athlete and another player or a team that happens to be black or overtly black. And now we have contention. Now we have conflict and and racial conflict in this country absolutely sells. Americans consume conflict, especially racial conflict, be it in politics and economics and society 
um, especially in sports. Um, we, we've seen it uh, through the last, I don't know how many election cycles, uh, we've been split into two, uh, whether it's along racial lines, economic lines, uh, political lines. We are split into in conflict cells. That's why we all talk about it all the time. Um, race is very much politicized. Gender is very much politicized. So whenever we have these crossovers like we do in the sports arena, it, it brings us conflict and contention. Um, but the difference is, unlike in sports, say say in some of these other arenas is that sports allows us to covert racism and prejudice and the guise of preference it's very institutional uh, example so throughout the weekend i met with spoke to and heard a number of white people um, primarily white men but white women as well who said that they were drawn to the sport because of Caitlin Clark. Now, I'm not in any way going to reduce the wave of interest in women's sports to race. I think that's absolutely unfair. I think it's very simple. It's a very simple conversation, a very simple take. And it's also a tremendous disservice to Caitlin Clark as she is an absolutely incredible talent and her game demands the attention that she has earned and the women's and it's 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 absolutely there. But this women's game has produced some of the greatest women's basketball players of all time in the last 2015 you know, 20 to 15, 10 years or so. And if you go back, you got players like Cheryl Swoops or Cynthia Cooper, Cheryl Miller. Um, they were absolute phenoms. Like, you know, Cheryl Swoops was walking around here, you know, as being titled and troped as the the female Michael Jordan. Like, like she was a dog. Cynthia Cooper, dog. Cheryl Miller, Reggie Miller's sister, I'm going to rewind that back. Uh, Reggie Miller is Cheryl Miller's brother. Cheryl Miller was a problem, a problem. You hear me? They were absolute phenoms, all three of those women and so many more. But none of them moved the needle quite like this. So what's the difference? It's not overt. But it's very much race is very much a nuanced motivator in this situation. So let's not just talk about it on, you know, hearsay and just my opinion. Let's kind of look at some case studies here. We can go back to 95, 96, the women's national team, uh, USA basketball. Uh, UConn had a phenomenal player uh, coming out of college, uh, Rebecca Lobo. Um, for those who know, you know. For those who don't, I'm about to tell you. Uh, Rebecca Lobo, she makes the USA basketball team. She's a great player, national champion, player of the year, all that in college. And she's heavily marketed and positioned as the public face of the team. A team that had the likes of Cheryl Swoops, as I mentioned before, uh, Lisa Leslie, and Don Staley, the Don Staley. So, there's some names, some some outstanding all-time pantheon women's basketball players on this team. 
Uh, and they picked this kid who's the youngest player on the team and the whitest player on the team <laughs> and made her the face of the team. Now, from a marketing standpoint, especially kind of in that time, I understand exactly what the idea was, was to drive interest because we know the 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 margins of people who are outside of the sport who are genuinely and truly interested in it um that comes from the margins so if we want to appeal and we know the 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 racial you know demographic of the country we need to appeal to xyz communities to get them drawn into the sport so we're gonna you know pick this woman this white woman Who's tall? We're gonna dollar up. We're gonna make, and this is something that happened with all the, the 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 women on that team, making them wear clothes and talk and move in ways that weren't natural to them to make them more palatable for a more conservative uh, audience um, to consume. And you know, Rebecca was a dog. Don't get me wrong; she was a great player in college, but she was the youngest player on that team, and comparatively, she wasn't you know, one of the best players on the team either. Uh, yet she was on all the late night talk shows. Um, she was making all the appearances. She was center on all the magazine covers. Her face was plastered in the headlines. So it was a clear push to try to make her the face of women's basketball, especially as the NBA and David Stern were kind of positioning to propel this development and introduction and launch of the WNBA in 96, 97, like it just lined up. So I, I, I want to peel back again with respect to Rebecca Lobo. She was and still is a tremendous steward for women's basketball, for the women's game. It continues to do the work to push the women's game forward. This is not a critique of her, just as this is not a critique of Caitlin Clark. This is a critique of whiteness and its relationship to black dominated sports. So we see that that's there. If you haven't seen the uh, dream team, the 96 uh, dream team, the women's national team, uh, there's documentaries, YouTube videos, TikTok videos, really getting into the nuance of it. If you want to get in the weeds deeper about how race and gender and gender identification played a significant role on the rollout for that team, it's all there to back up these assumptions. Um, we can take it a step further and go back even further. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson are widely credited with saving the NBA. And as we've been told by players, by writers, analysts, commentators, before Magic and Bird, this, this wasn't that. The NBA wasn't that. NBA Finals games were on tape delay. The game could happen and your team, if you weren't there, you weren't in the city, you didn't find out until the next day when they played the tape. But by then, the newspaper had run and you already knew who won before you even saw the game. That's how the NBA was moving out here at one time before the bird and magic rivalry. You know, it's, it's, it's most basketball fans, basketball enthusiasts, um, professionals, coaches across the board acknowledge that race did play a huge role in that rivalry and the NBA leveraged that contention and that conflict and that angst amongst fans to drive growth of the league. Um, now, of course, you know, 
Magic again, Magic and, and Magic Johnson, Larry Bird are two of the top 15, top 10, and even top five to some players in the history of basketball. And so again, I would never reduce their contributions, their talent, their accolades to just be in a conversation about race. Again, it's a that's a very, very simple analysis, and that's not what we're doing here. But race was just as much of a player in the growth and interest of that sport at that time as any of the other guys out there putting on a jersey and lacing up their converse weapons. It just is what it is. They was lacing up their chucks just like race was lacing up theirs. It was very much a part of the narrative in the league. And I mean, I even look at it personally. Most black folks that are Laker fans and grew up Laker fans, even you know prior to the Kobe and Shaq era. So I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about folks my generation and back who have absolutely no connection to California, no connection to the city of Los Angeles, no connection to the Lakers organization whatsoever, and are Laker fans. In the same way, likewise, there are a lot of Celtics fans from my generation back who have no connection to Boston, Massachusetts, whatsoever and I mean I think about you know my uncles and you know OGs in a barbershop it was very much a we Lakers fans and it's rooted in we're Lakers fans because we had to cheer for the black person like let's let's encapsulate that sentiment Issa Rae you know famous famously coined I'm cheering for everybody black we've been doing that that's what it was all the old black heads, all the old black men in the barbershop, Lake of fans, because we had to support Magic when Magic and Bird was playing each other because it truly was black and white. Y'all not feeling it? Go watch the 30 and the 30 for 30. They talk about it. And everyone knows the history of race in Boston, even now, to this day. So let's let's keep it a buck. Let's keep it a buck where a dollar is worth it. Race played a huge, huge role in driving interest back then, and we're seeing it right now. It was passed down to us. This is a part, again, of American culture, and sports is a huge component of American culture. So if, 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 if race relations has so much influence in every aspect of our lives as Americans, what, what makes us think sports is exempt? It's, it's, you can see it. It's the, the bitterness that some folks have expressed towards Angel Reese and this LSU team is directly connected to a stream of consciousness that has been woven into American sports culture for a long time. It's the same feelings that were connected to um, those who initially resisted the greatness of Jackie Robinson, those who resisted the, the, the confidence of Muhammad Ali, the flair of Magic Johnson, the authenticity of Flojo, the dominance of Tiger Woods and, and Serena Williams, uh, the resistance of Colin Kaepernick and the outspokenness of LeBron James. These are the same people, the same ones who had something to say and have something to say about the movements, about the, the contributions and the existence of these proud uh 
dominant black athletes dominating and infiltrating spaces and having uncomfortable conversations around race and confronting that same population of folks who popped in for the first time. Um, and again, not everybody, but those, the ones that know, the, the ones that know that popped in for this first time and are all of a sudden wildly enraged uh, by a team and a player because of a player that they just came into contact a couple of weeks ago who they don't have a connection to, who they haven't watched, who have no context of the team, how they play, any of that kind of stuff. It's just this girl can shoot and she white. I'm riding. I'm interested now. Those are the same people who have the problem with Angel Reese and his LSU team that had the problem with all of those outstanding historical dominant athletes of the past. So let's not get it twisted. This is nothing new. And and you know, even if and I and I knew I knew before the first final four before the final four game started, before the semi started, if Iowa didn't win, there were going to that segment, they were going to find something, something to be outraged about. Um, it's sports, it's competition. Uh, these women are competitors, and I love. I mean, and, and I and I love that Caitlin Clark was talking her shit all tournament. I loved it when she was waving off the girls and 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 you know, you know, telling the girl like like what you talking for? Shut up! You down fifteen? I love that. I love that part of sports. I grew up in that part of sports. We we talk like that, you know, growing up in the parks. You know what I'm saying? Playing, you know, on 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 concrete. And, 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 you know, basketball rims and goals with no nets or with chains if you can keep them on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up like that. I love that kind of basketball. That's my favorite kind of basketball. And, and I love that Caitlin was talking that. And I also loved when Angel did it as well. And I love, you know, seeing her back it up, get on uh, the, 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 the stages, the press conferences, and, and having – uh, such a thoughtful conversation around her blackness, um, her black womanhood, and and enforcing the idea that she has to has has has, has proudly taken on the charge of representing the folks that look like her. I love that she talked that shit on the court and off the court, and I and I say that with absolute and unapologetic bias. It just is what it is. But like I said, we already know what time it is. Let's not get brand new about it. Salute to LSU. Um, salute to Angel Reese, uh, Alex Morris, the whole team. Salute to, salute to Kaitlyn Clark in Iowa for an outstanding season. She's a phenomenal player. Can't wait to see her get back on the court next year. Um, but again, this is not a critique on them. This is a critique on us, um, particularly that segment of the population who finds a way to show up in these situations. And then when it doesn't go the way of uh, that white athlete, we see something manifest itself in backlash. So like I said, let's not be brand new about it. Um, I, I definitely like the conversations anytime that we talk about race um, in the public, you know, in, in the public discourse, I think it's beneficial. Um, and I think this was an opportunity to talk about race, gender, sexism, and, 
I encourage everyone to continue to extend these conversations as we continue to grow and support the women's game. And I hope that next year we have the same energy going into the season and that the investment shows itself, shows proof in the women's game. So again, I love to have you guys' thoughts, um, you know, share in the comments, uh, drop, drop me a note, DMs, whatever it is. I love to hear you guys' thoughts on some of this stuff. Uh, it's, it's just so interesting and nuanced. It's, it's, it's so many different layers, so many different, you know, ways to approach this conversation. So make sure you tap in. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe on all your podcasting platforms, however you receive podcasting uh, via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, whatever it is. Make sure you lock in there. Link up with me uh, on IG and TikTok at Big Merck, B-I-G-G dot M-E-R-K. It's the same on both platforms. And um, yeah, as always, until next time, pull up, stay up, and get lit. Go Tigers. Uh, back at it, another crack at it. I'm a fiend for it like a crack addict. This is mathematics. Try and match it or add it. The mad at it. Far from average, a savage. Call me Luca from Atlanta to Dallas. I'm a maverick. First pick like I got drafted. World on my back like Atlas. Cause you map this and that.